0: through this um, real quick. I'm going to throw a lot of facts at you. Okay, I really want to lay a foundation for the book of Exodus. Even though we're already in the seventh chapter, I still want to lay a foundation. See, if you have a foundation of the book, then you see it as a complete picture. And when we move through the chapters, it's very easy to understand what's going on. I heard a quote this weekend. If you lay a great foundation for a book, the book teaches itself. And it's true. So if you can understand what's happening here in the book of Exodus, and if you can see the complete picture, then this book will be a piece of cake. It'll be a blessing. You won't be wondering, like, what is this and what's going on here? You'll see clearly into the text. And so we're going to move right into it. Let me ask the Father just to bless us one more time. Lord, I need your help. Please speak to your people, ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This book, Exodus, is written by... Moses, the author, Moses. Moses, the human author of the book Exodus. The book Exodus states, Moses wrote, there's a couple of verses, Exodus 17 and 24 and 34. These chapters state that he actually wrote the book. Also, the Ten Commandments are said to be in this book of the Law of Moses. The Ten Commandments are here, in Exodus. Moses wrote every book of Exodus, but this does not mean that he necessarily wrote every single word. Now listen closely. Jesus Christ, remember, he was the author of the Sermon on the Mount, but he did not write it himself. A little picture. But what is meant by Mosaic authorship is that Moses was the fundamental or real author. in compiling, compiling the entire book of Exodus, Moses, he may have used parts that are already written or already existed documents, but he was the one who penned it. He was the one who put it down. He was the one who brought it all together, complete. The date it was written, this book of Exodus, 1440 B.C. How do we know this? The date of the Exodus can be arrived from 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. You can just write this down and look it up later. There's a lot of facts that maybe you don't want to hear, but just listen. The, you can calculate it around 1446 B.C., and this is how. The Exodus was 480 years before the time of Solomon began to build a temple. We know that Solomon began to build a temple in or 966 B.C. So four, add 480 years to that and you will get 1440 or 1446 B.C. This is how we get the number. It's likely that this time when Moses wrote Exodus that he probably wrote the entire Pentateuch. What is the Pentateuch? It's the first five books of the Bible. The Torah. It is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Some background on Exodus. Exodus is the Latin word which comes from a Greek word, dos. This Greek word is made up of 2 x ex- ex-meanings. I'm sorry, two words meaning x number one, x and then odos. Ex is out of, and the word odos means road or away. So the word Exodus means the way out. The Jews, it's interesting to note that the Jews do not call it Exodus. They call it, in the Torah, they call it the first two words in the book of Exodus. The first two words that are stated there are walev shamol. These are the names of, is what it states. These are the names of. So if you open to Exodus chapter one and you read, it says, these are the names of. This is what the Jews have labeled the book of Exodus as. The first two words of the book of Exodus. That's what they call it. The exact root. The exact root of the Exodus. This. The way out. What is it speaking of first? Before I establish that, the way out. The way out of Egypt. They are in Egypt right now, and they are slaves to Pharaoh, the way out, Exodus, the exit. The exact route, we don't exactly know which one, they. we can't be dogmatic about it, but there are three different routes that scholars say possibly could be the way that they went. There's a northern route, there's a central route across the Sinai, and there's a southern route. I, I I got some maps here, you're probably not going to be able to see it very well, but I'll try to show you the best I can. This is, can you guys even see this? And I'll show you guys also. But this is, if, if you see here, you've got the Mediterranean Sea here, right? You have Egypt, you have the Sinai Peninsula, Israel is actually right here. And over here is Saudi Arabia. This is, if you can see this line, this is the traditional route that many scholars believe happened. They actually went down to the Sinai, the traditional spot... Here's the Red Sea, right? You see these waters right here? The Red Sea, it comes all the way down here. The traditional spot for Mount Sinai is here. And so they would have went down here, they believe they crossed over the Red Sea right here, and then came down into the Sinai, wandered for 40 years, and then up into Israel, or up into the land of milk and honey. You understand? I want you to get the picture so you can go home and look it up on your own map so you can see what's going on. Look at the back of your Bible. Sometimes you have maps that will show. For you guys over here, check it out. The Mediterranean Sea up here, you have Egypt, you have the Sinai, you have Saudi Arabia, and you have Israel. is right up here. Now, here's the route they took. They would cross over the Red Sea. This is a traditional route. This is what many people think. The traditional site of Mount Sinai down here at the bottom. Here's the Red Sea. So they would come out. They would cross over the Red Sea, come down to Sinai, travel for 40 years in the desert, and then up to the land of milk and honey. Alright? So this is a traditional. Now I want you to I want you to check out. We talked about last week. This is a different route. We talked about the search for the real Mount Sinai. Do you remember the video we, we talked about? You should check it out. If you haven't, anybody go check it? Yeah. It's pretty crazy, huh? Amazing, uh, Adam, these, anybody else? Has anybody else seen it? Emmanuel, you guys got to check it out. Check it out online. Google. You want to do that? Okay, so, so is, your, is your email on the list? Yeah, it's on the list. Okay, so just take all the names that are listed. Yeah, cut and paste that in an email and send it to everybody. He's going to send you a link, all right? And so you can click on it, YouTube, Google, whatever it is, and you can check out. It's an amazing video. This search for the real Mount Sinai. Now, Paul says that, remember, Mount Sinai was there in Saudi Arabia. Paul speaks about that. And so, I don't know why they say the real Mount Sinai, the traditional spot is Jano's. Which he said already. You you want to say it real quick, Jay? Why do they say the real Mount Sinai is there at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula? Jay's going to give us some commentary. Listen up. Uh, They say that because during the era of Constantine, who founded the Catholic Church and made uh, Christianity the state religion, his mother went around to specific sites and just kind of arbitrarily pointed out, saying, yeah, this is where this happened, that's where this happened. And she had her, uh, her personal kind of stone seer or psychic point out and say, yeah, that's Mount Sinai. So that's the only reason anybody thinks it's Mount Sinai. That was back in the 3rd century that they did that. But So there's no good reason to think it's Mount Sinai other than that. Well, there you go. So, I mean, this is not... <coughs> I would encourage you to check out this video. It's crazy. But the, this, this route that these men speak about, I might be a little bit wrong in this, but I kind of drew it out. Maybe you can come and check out the map afterwards if you'd like to see where they believe they crossed the Red Sea and where... They actually went, Mount Sinai would actually be over here, Saudi Arabia, on not here, here, over here, Saudi Arabia, on this side. And here is where they would cross the Red Sea, here's the iran the Egyptians. Here, they start here, they move down, remember here's a traditional spot of Sinai, no, they cross the Red Sea here. Interesting, on this video, there's an underwater land bridge right here, it's absolutely amazing. And then, here is, what do they call it, Jane? The The real Mount Sinai? They call it Jabal Yes, Jabel al-Az. And everybody, it's like everybody there, it's like, oh, where's the mountain of Moses? Oh, it's right there. All the village people, they're just like, oh, it's over there. Everybody knows where that is. It's right there. It's Jabal al-Az. They just know that Moses and their people walk through there. So to the natives there, they just completely understand that we people have been fooled by, uh, by religion. So, anyways, that is a little picture. You can go check out the maps afterwards if you'd like. A couple other quick things to note. And we'll move on into some foundation 1 through uh, 6 chapters, and then we'll move into chapter 7. Oh. The question of who Pharaoh? Who this Pharaoh was. The mention of Ramses in chapter 1, verse 11, does not necessarily mean that it was Ramses II. The Pharaoh that was reigning in this time, in Moses' time, it is not Ramses II. And the reason why, the reason why scholars are stating this, is because it doesn't line up with the time that he was actually existing. In the time, in the 1450 B.C. there, the one who was actually reigning was uh, Tutmosis III, who was also a great builder. So, this is who they believe Pharaoh was, and this is this is who they believe he was in that time, where the Pharaoh that was reigning in that time, and who was causing these Israelites to work like mad, crazy slaves, who was not... Ramses. The whole content of this book of Exodus, it can be described as among the most important of all the books due to Israel's life. It sets out the life and worship of God's people. Among the theological topics that are described in this book are these things. Just going to list a couple things just to give you a picture of what is going to go through this entire book. Okay. The names of God. You see the tabernacle? You see the attributes of God? You see the Ten Commandments? You see God's covenant to his people? You see worship, the way they are to worship, you see holiness, you see sacrifice, you see consecration, you see the law, and you see redemption. All these things will come to life as we move through this book. The outline of the book, I like it broken up this into three sections. What we'll see, verses one I mean, chapters one through twelve. Israel being in Egypt, right? The Israelites working as slaves under Pharaoh. Chapters 1 through 12. Chapters 13 through 18, you will see the journey to Sinai, trying to get to Sinai, Mount Sinai. Chapters 13 through 18. And then, chapters 19 through 40, is Israel there at Sinai, at Mount Sinai. Moses going out, getting the Ten Commandments, all the rest bringing it down, the tabernacle, all these things will unfold in chapters 19 through 40. Man, it's a mouthful. But I want you to understand, again, what is going on. And if you didn't get all that, you can listen to it on JustJesusStuff.com again. Or, you should go and study yourself. Really look deep. Foundation is so crucial for a book that you are reading. How can you know what's going on? How do you know the picture? If an author writing a book doesn't give you a foundation of where they're at and what's happening and all the rest... How can you know where it's taking place and give you a picture of what's going on? You can't. And so it's important to know. We've moved all the way through six chapters already. And I was going to do a bunch of reading to catch us up. You know what? What time are we, what time are we looking at? Maybe we Fifteens. I kind of, I think, you know what, I think I will. I'm going to bring us up to date, okay? I think this is important. This chapter, chapter 7, that we're going to look at, it's brief. There's two things really big that happened in this chapter, but we'll read all the way through it, and we'll look at some cool points. But I want you to understand, everybody who's not, if you haven't read chapters 1 through 6, and I'm going to read these brief things. <laughs> brief. And uh, bear with me. Please just listen closely. These are just quick overviews of... Each chapter, what's happening, it's going to give you a quick picture of what's happening to bring the story up to date. Alright, here we go. Exodus chapter 1. Remember, in Genesis 50, Genesis chapter fifty, what happens? Joseph dies. He passes away. So, remember, he was in tight with Pharaoh. Remember, he's in tight with Pharaoh. He's number two in command, all the rest. Now, what happens? We see here in the beginning of the chapter, chapter 1 of Exodus, the children of Israel come into Egypt. A new king comes into power over Egypt and takes over the land. The new king is planning out what he is going to do with the Israelites. The Israelites, they're growing rapidly. They were serving under the king and working in service very hard. The king of Egypt told the midwives. He said that if you're to have a son, the child is to die. But if the child is a daughter, then she can live. Then midwives, though, these midwives, there's two mentioned Sepharah and Pua, these two midwives, they feared God. They did not fear the king. They did not fear Pharaoh. So they kept every single child that was born unto them. Because these women were obedient unto God. God dwelt among them as the people multiplied even more. Pharaoh charged all the people saying that whoever has a son, they must cast the kid or the boy into the river. But those who have daughters, they can be kept. So that chapter one is what is happening. Pharaoh makes an announcement. All the baby boys are dead. Throw them into the river. Period. These two women are just like, uh-uh. We're keeping all the kids. They don't fear a man. They fear God. I love it. Exodus chapter 2. starts off with a couple, a couple, two people, man and wife, of the tribe of Levi, having a child. Because Pharaoh was trying to, remember, kill all the baby boys in the country, they hid this, their baby, this Levi couple hid their baby for three months. After they could hide him no more, they put the baby in a basket and set it down the Nile River. You know the story. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river. She's bathing and she saw the basket and sent her maid to grab it. She finds the child. Nearby, the child's sister, or nearby was the the child's sister, and she asked if she could find a woman to nurse the child. Pharaoh's daughter agreed. The sister goes and gets the mother to nurse the child. Do you remember this? Moses, this is Moses. Remember, he is found in the basket by Pharaoh's daughter. There's a, actually Moses' sister nearby. And she runs up real quick and says, Hey, can I find a woman that will nurse the child? She's like, yeah, that'd be great. So she goes and finds, guess who? Moses' mother to nurse the child. So Moses' mom gets to mur- nurse her child for, for this short time. It's great. It's amazing. I bet she was just so stoked. A gift from God. I wonder if she'd been praying like, Father, bring my baby back to me. You know, i just gone down the river. I wish I could see him again. All of a sudden, there he is. Able to nurse him. The child grew, and the mother gave her child back to Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. Must have been hard. And she named him Moses. I was thinking about this. Just real quick note. I wonder what Moses' mother really named him. Because it says that Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses. I wonder what the name that that his real mother named him. We'll find that out in heaven. You ask Moses, I'll ask him too. Amen? (laughs) The next day, I'm sorry, the child grew and she gave him back to Pharaoh's daughter. She named him Moses. One day Moses, when he had grown up, he saw a Hebrew being beaten. One of the Israelites being beaten. In fury, he grabbed the Egyptian and killed him. The next day Moses was out with the Hebrews, and one was hitting the other. And Moses yelled at him. He said, hey, stop that. They said, what? Will you kill us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Pharaoh found out that Moses had killed a man and wanted him dead. So Moses fled to a a land called Midian. When he arrived there, he sat by a well. Seven girls came up to draw some water. Moses helped them defend against some shepherds that came. The girls went home and told their father... And he invited Moses over for dinner. Moses ended up staying with them and marrying one of them, the women, Zipporah. They have a son named Gershom, the king of Egypt, this wicked king, he dies. And the people of Israel cry out to God for deliverance, and God hears them. Chapter 1, Pharaoh, kill all the baby sons. Chapter 2, Moses sent down a river, grows up, kills an Egyptian... Fleeds to Midian because he's, Pharaoh wants to kill him. And now he finds a wife, has a son. And the people of Israel all of a sudden cry out to God asking for deliverance. Chapter 3. I wrote all these things. I, I kind of reconstructed these things to make them a little more easier to read or a little more easier to understand. But I'm just going to try to move through this again as fast as I can. Bear with me. Chapter 3. As Moses was keeping the flock... His father-in-law. Remember, he's staying in Midian with his father-in-law. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a flaming bush. Angel of the Lord. When that is mentioned, who is that speaking of? Jesus, our King. Yes. Christophany. The Old Testament. Picture of Christ. Or Jesus himself, sometimes, there in the midst. Actually, him himself. But, the angel of the Lord appears to him in a flaming bush. God tells him to take off his sandals. Who? Moses. Because he's on holy ground. God tells Moses that he is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God also tells Moses that he's going to use him to deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of Egypt and bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey. Moses gets scared and asks God, What do you say when they ask me what your name is? Loose translation. God answers, Moses saying, I am who I am. I love that phrase. I am. I am. And God says that to you and me today. He really does. He says, you know what? I am who I am. I am everything you need me to be. Whatever you need, I am. I am all these things. I am. Then the Lord tells Moses to go and tell the king of Egypt to let his people go. On the three day journey into the wilderness to make sacrifice to the Lord. Chapter 4. Chapter four of the book of Exodus, we encounter God setting forth his plan for Moses to deliver the children of Israel from the Egyptians. We will examine how Moses this is worded a little differently, I'm sorry. We will examine how Moses constantly questions God, insisting that the people will not listen to him or believe his words. We will also see God giving Moses several signs to bring the children of Israel and the Egyptians. However, Moses still remained quite faithless. In light of everything that God had shown him, regardless, the Lord remains faithful, and he, as He tends to do, this chapter is a great illustration of God's power in His children's lives. God tells Moses three miracles: the rod to the snake, the hand to the leper, the water to blood. We see. We also see Moses and Aaron going to the elders of the Hebrews and telling them what had happened. What I've done again was taken the first paragraph of each devotional and reworded them to try to make them easy to read so we can come together and complete I don't know, just, just really being able to see these, these chapters as a whole I'm sorry it's taking so long but here in this chapter three miracles happened which I love do you remember? God tells Moses, throw the rod down and turns into a snake can you imagine? it's a snake he's like, pick it up again, what? I mean, this is probably like the baddest snake you've ever seen. Girls, I know you don't like snakes, but guys, some guys like looking at them. They're kind of cool looking, you know? It's like, this is probably the baddest snake you've ever seen. And if he throws it down, I'm sure it probably would scare Pharaoh and all his boys. And then Moses has to pick it up by the tail. You never pick a snake up by the tail. You don't do that. It'll snatch you up in a second. But I believe that God is working faith in Moses here. Do you trust me? Throw that rod down, watch it turn into a snake, and pick that thing up by its tail. And see what will happen. God tested me today in something like this. You know, I was like, I was bummed because I couldn't send out the text message to everybody to remind them about study tonight because my program that I paid thirty bucks for isn't working. I'm just like, and so I'm just sitting there and I keep working at it trying to make it work. And I just got the Father was like, you know what? I'll bring the people. I don't need your little text message machine to bring people out and remind them about Bible study. It's like, throw it down. Throw the thing down and pick it up by the table with the tail. It's like, no, Lord, I don't, I don't trust that. I've got to make this device work, man. I've got I to do whatever it takes to make sure these texts get out so the people come night. He doesn't need me. He built faith in me as I see you guys show up anyways. It's amazing. Long live the king. But God works on Moses here. Throwing the rod down turns into snakes. Second one, remember, says, put your hand in your coat. Put your hand in your coat. And pull it out. What happens? Leopard. He's a leper. His hand is turned to white. White as snow. Just like blown away like, my hand's gone. I mean, it's what? It's dead. I wonder if he feared and was just blown away like, oh no. First he told me to pick up a snake. It almost bit me. Then it turned into a rod. And now I put my hand in here. What are you doing to me, God? White as snow. Then he puts it back in and all of a sudden his hand is turned to beautiful flesh. I wonder if his hands look better than they did before. After the Lord told him to bring that thing back out, I'm sure it did. And then the Lord says also, take the rod and touch the waters, and it will turn to blood. Three pictures, three illustrations, things that we could dive into, we won't. Exodus chapter 5. Chapter 6 is real simple, real quick. So 5 is, here we go. After meeting with the elders of Israel, Moses and Aaron went to speak to Pharaoh. They said to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast in the wilderness. Pharaoh responds to them, I don't know this God. Why should I listen to Him? I will not let your people go. Moses and Aaron don't give up. They keep asking Pharaoh to let the people go so they can sacrifice to the Lord. The people, though, are afraid that the Lord will kill them with a plague or a sword if they don't honor the Lord's wishes. Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. He blames Moses and Aaron for distracting the people and stopping them from the work. So guess what happens? Pharaoh then cuts off the supply of straw. They're making bricks, right? That's what they're doing for labor. He cuts off the supply of straw used for making bricks and makes the people get it for themselves. So he cuts off the supply of straw and says, listen up people, you're getting your own straw. I ain't giving you any more. The brick you have to make, not only do you have to make brick now and make the same quota but you have to go get your own straw, so the labor is heavy on the people now. This put quite a burden on the people of Israel, so they sent officers to speak to Pharaoh. They sent like their guys in charge. Hey, please go tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh lashes out at them, saying, "You're lazy. If you don't have time to go and sac- if you have time to a sacrifice to your Lord, then you have plenty time." on your hands, get back to work and I will not reduce the number of bricks from your daily quota as the officers leave Pharaoh they meet Moses and Aaron who are standing outside waiting for them and they blame the whole situation on Moses and Aaron and they ask the Lord to judge them so Moses is now totally confused he thought he was doing what the Lord had asked him to do he returns to the Lord and says why did you send me? I've done what you've asked me But Pharaoh will not listen to me, and he's even worse on your people now. You've done nothing to stop them. So he comes and complains to God. Exodus chapter 6. God continues to speak to Moses through the petition Pharaoh to free the Israelites from the bondage of the Egyptians. God tells Moses to say to the children of Israel that he has remembered the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob concerning the land of Canaan. God would deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh and bring them into the land that they had inherited. The children, however, did not hear the words of Moses. The Lord continued, His work through His servant Moses and Aaron on order that Pharaoh might let the children of Israel go. Alright. Anything in snap, Josh? That was a lot. I know, I know, I know. But why? It's because we are at the beginning of the book and we must be on the same page. We must understand, we must have the picture of what's going on. If I can put it into a few sentences. King rises up, kills the firstborns, or tries to, sons. Moses sent down a river, grows up, kills an Egyptian. The Egyptian, Pharaoh tries to kill Pharaoh, Pharaoh tries to kill Moses. Well, Pharaoh tried to kill himself, you know, because he was upset. At, no. But Pharaoh tries to kill Moses so he flees to Midian. He's out there. He finds the wife has a son. God speaks to him through a burning bush. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. These are the signs you're going to do. Go talk to Aaron, your brother. And go talk to the elders of the Hebrews. And so he does that. He goes to Pharaoh. Tells him what's up. Pharaoh laughs in his face. I'm not letting the people go. Bringing a heavier burden on the people because you did that. Bring No straw for them. If they're getting their own straw and they're making their own bricks. Same quota. So the people are bummed out. They come and complain to Moses, blame it on him. And that's pretty much where we're at. Phosus, Phosus. Moses continues to go, that's a combination of Pharaoh and Moses. There's a lot of talking tonight. that. I'm getting lost here. Father, give me wisdom. Let's, uh, let's try to move into chapter 7 here. I'm just going to be brief. Listen, my friends. Listen, I know, Moses, I know. Listen. Maybe it's something else. I what I want you to understand, and what I want you to walk away with, is understanding the text. But number two, I hope that God speaks to you in some way. Despite all the understanding and knowledge, it's great to have all that. It's great to have a lot of foundation so that God can speak to you. But if you don't have ears to hear, you can. not So as we move through this text, please screw up your minds with me. Paul, Paul taught for six hours. We can listen for just a few more minutes. I'm really going to try to finish this up in about ten minutes or so, fifteen minutes at the most. I promise. Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, chapter seven. <laughs> Sorry, you listeners. I, mean, I know. <laughs> and the Lord said unto Moses, "See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron and thy brother shall be a prophet." Interesting phrase. Moses says. When he came to Aaron, I'm sure he's like, Hey, you're the prophet, man. I'm kind of like sitting as God to Pharaoh. I wonder if he shared it with him. Interesting phrase the way God tells Moses here. That he is going to be kind of speaking to Pharaoh as God, like ministering to him and letting him know what's up. I wonder if Pharaoh himself ever spoke to God or ever called out to God or cried out to him. We see Moses being kind of the figure here that God is going to use to speak To Pharaoh. That God is going to use to speak to Pharaoh. Verse 2. Thou shalt speak all that I command you. And Aaron your brother shall speak unto Pharaoh. That he send the children of Israel out of the land. Do you know? Quick note. That Aaron is actually the older brother of Moses. He's three years older. Right now in their days. Moses I believe is 80 years old. And Aaron is 83. These boys are old. Old timers. But they're strong. They're still moving full blast. I long for the day. If we live that long, and the Lord tarries, man, that we will be strong. Moving forward, that not a day stops where we run from the king or get far from him. But every single day, we would continue running towards him. Notice it took 40 years in the desert for Moses to be prepared for the work that God had done her for Forty years. Hey, take heart, guys. Girls, women. It may take 40 years for God to prepare your heart for the work that He wants to do in you. Don't get bummed out. That He's doing a work in you, that He's preparing you for the things He has for you. Why is it God using me? Why are things happening? I want to do I want to be patient. You fall on your face, let God work those things in you. Maybe you will be parting the Red Sea soon. Get prepared, get ready. Minister unto the Lord. Go up on that Mount Sinai and spend time with Him. Let Him speak to you daily. If you're not allowing that to happen, you're wasting time. God cannot use a man who's not willing, a man who does not want to listen. I believe God will speak to us in a still, small voice in that quietness of our devotions. Time by ourselves with Him. Be diligent. Spend time with the Father. Verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you. He's not going to listen. Listen that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies. And my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, my great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, and so they did. Moses was fourscore years old, or eighty years old, And Aaron was fourscore and three years old. Yes, there it is. Eighty-three years old when they spake or spoke to Pharaoh. Did you notice in verse four it says in the middle of that verse, and I will bring forth my armies. There's a spiritual warfare happening even there in Egypt. God is going to bring forth His armies in such a powerful way that plagues are going to come people's hearts are going to be convicted, and there's going to be a war waging. The enemy trying hard to fight to put pressure on Moses and to put pressure on the people, whether or not they'll remain faithful to God. And God sending in His armies to pursue and protect. You remember all these plagues that we're about to look at, you know, Israel went through them too. They're there. They're seeing it all happen too. They're there in Egypt. They see all that's happening. I wonder if they're burdened for some of, maybe they have Egyptian friends, I don't know. But they remain faithful through the whole thing, through every plague, through all that's happening. And there is warfare going on even in this room and this time right now, I believe with me speaking correctly, and you guys paying attention, girding up your minds, being focused, as we ourselves, our flesh tries to Get us unfocused and the enemy comes in and throws little darts here and there. Remember, if the enemy throws something at your mind, you throw ten back. What do you do? You pray for ten people. Right there on the spot, man, Lord bless so-and-so, bless him too. Well, enemy, you want to throw a dart at me, you're going to get worked. You not throw things at me. I serve the King, and I'll pray, and I'll get on my face. But there is a war raging, and God is here. Can you, gosh, man. Sometimes it was like the matrix, you know, it's like we could just like rip open the side and just see like what's happening in the spirit. Who knows who's in this room? Who knows what is here with us? We're so caught up in the physical, we lose the spiritual many times. The only way to get back to the spiritual is to spend time in prayer. To talk to the Father. To get close to God. There is a spiritual warfare happening. And it was happening in that day too. Let's move on here in verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak to you, saying, Show a miracle. Then you shall say unto Aaron, Take your rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. Verse 10, And Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Let's stop there. Again, remember the picture. Throws down this thing. I mean, this ain't no sissy serpent, okay? I'm telling you, God created all things. He created the serpent. He created all of these animals, all these creatures. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like an anaconda that could like strike like a cobra or something like that, you know? Anaconda, like 30 feet long. These things are crazy. They got heads like they 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 eat gazelles. I mean, they're they're nuts, okay? (laughs) Okay? Check this out. This snake's, poof, you know, just probably just like, oh, snap. You know, I'm sure Pharaoh was just like, what's going on here, man? You know, like, you threw a rod down and it became a snake. What are you going to do to me? You know, what are you trying to do? I wonder if Moses was even scared again. Like, he jumped back, you know, and everybody was just like, whoa, snake in the land. You know, I'm sure they, they understood serpents. They lived in the land of Egypt, in the desert there. I mean, there's probably sidewinders and all kinds of stuff. Going on diamond backs, I mean poisonous snakes, people being bitten all the time. They didn't have uh, you know Riverside Medical here, a Kaiser, you know, to rush to the hospital. I mean, you get bit, you're going down. So I'm sure they were blown away, sitting there looking at the serpent rising up this massive snake. Look what happens. Verse eleven. Pharaoh also called the wise men and his sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they did in like manner, with their enchantments. They cast down their rods, every man of his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And, and you guys have seen the movie, I know. But, just picture this. I mean, this is crazy, okay? Throw the rod down, becomes a snake. It's this snake sitting there, just like, what's going on? I mean, just sitting there. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's like, "Hey, okay, we can do that. You know, bring the magicians, bring the sorcerers in." In Second Timothy three eight, it actually mentions the names of these guys. The one name is, oh, there are two J names. Anybody know? Anybody know? Jancy, and Janet, or something like that. It's something like that. You can you can look up for yourself. Write it down. Second Timothy three chapter three verse eight, I believe it is. And these guys are sitting here, these sorcerers, they throw down their rods. Snakes. They pop up, they become snakes. Now, it says there in Second Timothy that these guys, they have distorted minds. They're messed up. Now, what would that push, to, what would that show? These guys having messed up minds, really not following the Lord. I'm sure they were demonic. They were sorcery. I mean, they were probably dabbling in a little psychic thing. You know, we're magicians. Pharaoh tells us our dreams. We can do what You know, all this stuff. Remember, he had it. Even back in the days of Joseph, he was bringing magicians in. So these guys, I'm sure they were tapping into the spiritual realm, de- demonic things, and maybe even demon-possessed, who knows. But anyways, they throw the rods down, and they become snakes too. And I'm sure these things were weak, because the enemy's weak. I mean, it's like, oh, ooh, your little, you know, tree snake, you know, came out to play. Oh, isn't that funny? And all of a sudden, this snake was like, and Mr. Anaconda, and it's just like, just eats, he eats, he eats the other snakes. Now, that, that's crazy, I mean, I wonder, what was, I wonder if it was, like, uh, I, I bet it was. I know, I'm reading into this, but it's okay. <laughs> I bet it wasn't just, like, some little, you know how snakes, like, eat food? You know, they sit there, and they sit there for hours, like, pulling it down, and they're sitting there. No, I'm sure it was just, like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, they're gone. They're just, like, they're, they're completely gone, and Pharaoh's sitting there, like, okay, um, that didn't work, all right? The magicians are sitting there, like, oh, snap, the snake's going to eat us now, you know, like, ready to run. We see this happening here, and and Pharaoh's not moved. Notice, his heart is hardened. He is not moved by this. It says it there in verse 13, And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he hearkened not unto them, and what the Lord had said. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now it says, do you remember back in verse 3, that God said He would harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, why would God harden a man's heart? That's cruel. You can't do that. God, you're hardening certain people's hearts? Like That doesn't seem very fair. Now, I believe that God would not harden a man's heart that would not ever choose Him. God would never harden a man's heart that would not say, Yea and Amen to Jesus. That would not bow the knee here on earth to Jesus. But what God will do if he looks at a man and sees his past, present, and future and sees, hey, this guy ain't going to ever choose me. He is not going to make the decision to follow God. He is not has not even one ounce in him to make a move in the right direction or even continue seeking after God. He's done. He's just going to manipulate and destroy and mess up all the days of his life. And so God looks at him and says, I will use you for, your, for my glory anyways. He hardens his heart, and now he's going to use Pharaoh, to move him as a chess piece, and use it for his greatest purposes and his greatest glory. I wrote it in the devotional today, those of you who read it, speaking about this how would God harden the man's heart, and still at the same time, Pharaoh still have choice in this. You see in the later chapters, just real quick, you see Pharaoh actually hardening his heart. It says that he actually sinned and hardened his own heart. Interesting. Him hardening his heart, God hardening his heart. What's going on here? Well, again, I believe that God is not going to ever force a man to sin. Mike, would God ever walk up to you and say, You are going to sin right now. You're going to sin. I'm making you sin. Here you go. Let me take your hands and commit adultery. Let me take your hands and do this. No, of course not. God hates sin. He would never force a man to do that. But He would harden a man's heart after He knows that He has completely chosen to reject him, to pretty much give God the birdie and say, I am never going to choose you. I have nothing to do with you, God. And God will use him as a chess piece to further his kingdom. And he does that with Pharaoh, we see here, even in this chapter. He moves him to harden his heart and to rebel against the children of Israel so that God can show his power even more mighty and more great. You understand? The more that Pharaoh says no, the greater it's going to be when what? He releases those people. Pardon, pardon, pardon. pardon I'm not letting go. Not letting go. I'm not going to give in to you, God. I am not letting the people go. And then what? The day that it comes, it's going to be the most, the greatest thing we've ever seen in the history of Israel. Pharaoh's saying, "Get, get them out of here. Whatever, get, get out of here. Okay? You guys have done enough." And we're going to see this happen. You know what, that's, that's, that's a little something for us real quick. Talked about it again in the devotional day a little bit. Hardening heart. Do you know, guys, family, friends, listen up. You can harden your own heart towards certain things. You can harden your heart very quickly to the things of sin you start dabbling in a certain sin, you keep doing, it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Whether it be gossip, whether it be clicking on the computer, whether it be talking this about somebody or saying that, or being angry, getting angry real quick, lying, stealing. You notice the more you do sin, the easier it gets. And it just becomes like second nature to you. It's like first, the first time you did it, it's like... Huh. But now just, it, just, it just comes, it happens. You think a certain thing about somebody and yeah, it's no big deal, yet yeah, they're a jerk, you know, whatever. And it just becomes, it's just second nature to you. You just do it all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. talk a moment of your breath. We can become hardened to our own sin. How do you get out of that? That's the question. This is how. Next time you fall and do sin, every single time you sin, I would encourage you, Every single time you sin and you catch yourself, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Why? Do you need to be forgiven? No, God has forgiven you of all your sin. You don't need to continue asking, like Josh, if I don't ask for forgiveness now and I die, am I going to hell? No. It's forgiven. It's been paid for on the cross. But what is forgiven? What is saying? What is confessing? What is that for? It's to remind you that you've sinned and that sin is wrong. And then remind you that God has forgiven you and set you free and to stir up joy within your heart like, man, you're a great king. You forgave me again. That's awesome. Nobody has done that to me in this life. So next time you sin, you remind yourself, you sin, every single you think about bad thought, the enemy comes in to forgive for, forgive me, Father. And you will start to understand how much you are forgiven, number one, and have a great understanding of the grace of God and how awesome He is. But secondly... You'll become more sensitive to the things of sin. Next time it jumps up. I know, like cussing, like I remember the one day that I I was in high school and I'd really try to stray away from it and hang around people that didn't much, you know, and didn't enter my ears for a long time. Like three years, four years. I just sometimes on the football team you hear little stuff, but nothing crazy. And I hadn't heard anything out of my mouth. And one night, I had a dream. And I was in my biology class for some reason. This girl was like yelling at me about the Bible because I used to go in there and just cause issues. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would preach to them, you know. And 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 I was sitting there. And in this dream, I was so angry with this girl, and I said a cuss. I said a cuss word to her. I, I just like launched it, like right in front of the whole class. And I, in my dream, but I woke up like all of this messed up. I was just like. Oh, did they really do that? You know, oh God. You know, like I can't even believe it did You know, I was just like going nuts because I really thought it happened, and I, uh, it hadn't happened in so long. It just it rang in my ears. I hadn't heard my voice say something like that in a long time. I used to have the worst mouth on me, but the Father's delivered me from that. I praise Him. But now it's weird to my ears. You know, it doesn't work. It's because i strayed straight far away from it. That's just a small thing. There are things in my life too that I need to ask for forgiveness daily. Moment by moment, second by second, keeping my mind in check. Keeping my heart ready and focused on the Lord. And you need to too. Don't let your heart get hardened towards things or people. What about forgiveness? What about forgiving people? It's hard. But you know what? I've noticed even in my life, again, another illustration, I remember when I jumped off the deep end at Home Depot. They were ripping me off, and I used, I used to just be this pushover, and I just let companies take advantage of me, and I would never stand up about the exchange or this and that. And all of a sudden, this guy just worked me, and I was just like, no! I just like lit this manager up, and I'm like, we spent Because I was working as a semi-general contractor out in Corona building houses, and I was buying like $20,000 worth of supplies. And... And I was like, every month i buy $20,000 worth of supplies from you, and you're going to treat me like this? No. And I lit him up. And that from that moment on, I just started treating people like trash, man. I just started being like, like hard. Like I, I would just like light him up. And I felt my heart get more and more and more callous. And I just was so strict and ready. No grace. And when I went to the desert with John in Mexico, I came back like this this softy. I remember one of my friends called me a girl. It's like, man, what's wrong with you? In the gym, and one of my friends like, okay. It's like, you, you see, like, you're so, like, all, like, you know, gracious and nice. and It's like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, toughen up. Be a man. You know, I'm just like, sorry. You know? like. <laughs> and I went to Israel, and I feel like my heart's become a little hard again because of all the driving and the honking all the time. And, and the, the oh, it's just crazy. Being in Egypt and in Jordan, it's just, I mean, crazy. I mean. But I watch myself, how I can so easily be hardened. And then as I start to correct myself, moment by moment, with those brothers in Mexico, hey, don't hate on him. Go love him. Go bless him. Go pray for him right now. Step out and do something for him. Minister to them. And as I did, my heart softened and softened, and it will in this day for you too. I promise you. You step out and start moving forward in that direction. Sit. Catch it in your mind. Forgiveness. Father, that's wrong. I don't want to do that. That's wrong. I, I agree. And thank you for forgiving me. You're awesome. I'm going to live for you today. And then, so and so did this to me. I, normally, I throw a cup at him, but I'm not going to throw a cup this time. I'm going to sit back and just, Amen. Forgiven. Jesus forgave me. Forgiven. It. It's okay. I'm not going to let my mind wander and talk smack on them in my mind. Nobody can hear it, but I can. am not going to let that happen. Don't let your heart be hardened. Cain, Cain let his countenance fall towards his brother, and God questioned him. Cain, you going to let your countenance fall? Build up your countenance. He did. And it can happen to you too. It can happen to me. Stay on guard, friends. Please, family. I want you guys pursuing forward in your walks. I want you guys moving forward towards Jesus. Recognize that. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't be like Cain. Let's finish this chapter up. There's a few more things happen here. I believe we are in verse fourteen, you're right. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refused to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo he go out into the water, thou shalt stand by the river's brink, or by the bank of the river, against the come and the rod, which was turned into a serpent, You shall take it into your hand, and you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, you would not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall turn to blood. Verse 18, and the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink. Straight up, it tells us. And the Egyptians shall lo to drink of the water in the river, and not be able to drink of the water in the river. Verse 19, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, take the rod and stretch it out upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon the rivers, upon the ponds, upon all their pools of water. They had pools back in that day, you see that? And, they, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood, and the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water in the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went to his house. Neither he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink. For they could not drink any of the water in the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten in the river. I just wanted to read it all the way through and get it all out. This whole thing that just happened here, Pharaoh's not listening with the snake thing, so God says, that's it. Go back to him and tell him to let my people go. Take the rod and strike. Did you notice the word strike there? Strike or smite. Hit the water. Just like, boom. I wonder if it's the same way that, remember, Moses, he took the, the rod and smote the rock. Remember, he hit, hit that thing straight down. But he brought it, and he hit the water, and as soon as he hit it, it turned to blood. And everything turned to blood. Did you notice it said, even the water in what? In the trees? And the water in the rocks? That means every single drop of water. If that happened in our day, go to your faucet. Blood pouring out. Go try to get a soda at a vending machine. Blood. There is nothing to drink nowhere. All the trees, would be see- blood would be seeping out of them. Every single bit of the ground, there might even be just where there's puddles of water, blood all over the ground here in the streets, just everywhere, just plastered everywhere in this town. What would happen? Would that wake up this city, Riverside? Would that be enough? I don't know. It wasn't enough in this day for Pharaoh. The people could not drink water for seven days. I'm sure they had water stored up and this is the only way they survived, but I wonder how many died during this time. It says that they tried to dig ditches there along the river to find water, but they found nothing. Blood everywhere. Blood on their hands. I wonder everything they touched. Blood, 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 blood. I wonder what message God is trying to provide to them. Listen, you've got blood on your hands. These are my people. You better let them go or you're going down. Maybe this is the blood shown about the blood that's about to be shed. The firstborn being taken as we'll see. If you don't let my people go, blood is going to come. This is a preview. And that's an eye-opener for me and for you. If we do not listen to the voice of God, blood will come. What do you mean, Josh? If we run from the King, before we know it again, we will be in a bloody mess. If we run from the king, we're going to be in a bloody mess. What do you mean? What does sin do to you? Look at the cross. Sin crucifies you. Sin messes you up. Every time you sit it's like slitting your wrists. Before you know it, there's blood everywhere. And you're wondering, what's going on? How did I get here? Run from sin. It'll mess you up. Don't harden your heart. Run from that. Run towards the king. you have two decisions every single time sin comes to you, run to God to And if you want to be a bloody mess, then do it. And you'll be wondering for seven days, the repercussions will come and haunt you. Why did I do that? That was lame. And you'll sit there with blood on your hands. Remember, the man who kills another man, is he forgiven by God if he asks for forgiveness? Yes. But he will go to jail. And seven days will come for every single one of us. Sin is always greater than what you can handle. If you fall into it and you go for it, it's going to be greater than what your mind thinks the repercussions are going to be. I can handle this. It's no big deal. It's just a little something here. It's always greater. Do not let the enemy, do not allow the enemy to rip you off. Do not allow him to laugh in your face and mock you. Stand up, friends. Rise up in this day as Moses and Aaron did, and stand before Pharaoh, and stand before these, at your workplace, and make statements to them, by the way you live, by the way you walk, let's be Joseph's, let's make a stand for the king, I'm really excited about this, this series right here, these chapters that we're about to go through, we're about to see these people be let go and free. And you know what? If you're going through a problem or situation right now, God is going to free you. Yeah! But look at we're, we're, all the mud we have to make and all the straw we have to mix. The enemy's b- barreling down on my back so hard he's whipping me and things are hard and I can't deal with this. And how does that work? Has the Lord ever broke upon us? When it rains, is there a rainbow in the sky? Every single time. He promised it, and it's going to come true. He's going to pull through for you. That Red Sea will part, I promise you. And so let's walk away tonight with a lot of foundation, seeing the book of Exodus and what's about to happen. Let's walk away tonight with these first six chapters as we meditate on what has happened previously from Pharaoh killing... To now God bringing blood on the hands of these Egyptians. Let's meditate on these things that God has spoken to you about individually. Amen. And hey, I want you guys to be blessed. I want you Mike. To be built up every single week. I want you guys. To walk away with something. And not just out of here like man that's Mush. Find the thing that God spoke to you and meditate on it as you sleep tonight. Please, please, that. Don't miss out on the blessing that the King has for each one of you individually. Amen? Amen? He has one for me too. He's spoken to me. I promise you that. And I have a duty to do too. Let's just go before the Lord and ask, ask Him to just retain the meat and spit out the bones. Amen? You agree with me when we pray. Don't let me pray. You agree with me when I pray. Father, we come to You as a group, as a family here. And Lord, a lot has been thrown out, and a lot has been spoken, Lord, and I'm sorry if I've said things I shouldn't. I just pray that You would take the words that You've spoken to each one, and that You would minister unto them, and that they would really grab onto the little blessings and nuggets that You want to share with them tonight, that You want to share with them tomorrow morning, Lord, when they wake up, that You would bring these things to remembrance, Lord, these simple promises, that you have brought to us a forgiveness, of blessings, of freedom, of peace, of rest. Illustrate to us through your word as we continue to read together through this book of Exodus that you've written, King. Thank you for all you're doing. I praise you that you've spoken, and I praise you, Lord, that you've ministered, and I praise you, Lord, for even bringing these here. Have your way tonight. We love you, Jesus. We're here to lay down our lives for you, King. If there's anything you need, we're really, truly, sincerely here for you, God. Please use us. We need your wisdom. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.